0: Now, I haven't been married as long as some of you, but one thing I've learned about marriage is that it's a good idea to study your spouse. To study what makes your spouse feel loved, what makes them feel cared for, what things you can do before they have to ask you again to do it. It's a good idea to study your spouse. But imagine if all the things you learned You never actually did. Would you have a good marriage? Probably not. And so it is with God. It's a good idea. In fact, it's essential to study the Bible, to read the Bible. But if you never actually put into practice what you learn, what good is that? You see, following Jesus is more Than just studying the Bible. It's more than just Bible knowledge. It's also doing what it says. And that's the take-home message this morning. Following Jesus is more than Bible knowledge. Now let me be clear, it's not less. Notice that I said it's essential to read your Bible and study your Bible. And we encourage you every week at Prairie Bible Church to continue to do that. But I hope you're also doing what it says. We're going to get three lessons here in these verses about what it means to follow Jesus. And these three lessons apply to all of us. They're incredibly important. And so uh, here is lesson number one. Following Jesus means approaching God's word humbly. Following Jesus means approaching God's word humbly. So look at verses 25 through 29 as this sets the scene for the parable. and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, when you hear lawyer, I'm guessing that something comes to mind. And it's probably not what is meant by lawyer here. Okay, what's meant by lawyer here is that this was an expert in religious law. Okay, at the time of Jesus, they had scriptures. It was our Old Testament. But the way it was divided up was into three sections. The law, the prophets, and the writings. And the law was especially revered by Jews. It was the law of Moses. It refers to that first five books in your Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so it's basically Jesus, the true expert on the law, talking with another expert, on the law. They're talking about the Bible. And so this expert on the law comes forward and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus asks him about the Bible. He says, well, what's in the law? How do you read it? And, And the man says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says that's the right answer. In fact, that's the answer Jesus gave to sum up the law in the Gospel of Matthew. But then he says something really important next. He says, okay, do this and you will live. Because that's the promise of the law. Do and live. And and the problem for the expert is that he hasn't come to terms with the fact that he can't perfectly do it. He can't perfectly keep the law. He's coming to Jesus and asking what he can do to be saved you know there was another expert in the law perhaps the expert in the law that lived during the time of Jesus his name was Paul you see Paul uh, before he met Jesus with Saul of Tarsus right he was an expert in the law in fact he probably had the whole law memorized that's how well he knew it does anybody here have the whole law memorized I don't know not me But you know, when he was Saul of Tarsus, he had this radical encounter with Jesus and it totally changed his theology. It turned his whole world upside down. And he had to rework what eternal life was and how a person could have salvation. And he started to reach some important conclusions for us in Galatians. So in Galatians 3, 10 through 12, uh, Paul said this, he said, all who rely, that's an important word, rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Why? Because it is written in the law, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. The one who does them shall live by them. So there's that do and live, right? Just like James said, whoever breaks the law at one point is guilty of all of it. So Paul says nobody can do it. In Galatians 2.16, Paul said this. He said, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through what? Faith, through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You see, Paul came to an understanding of that. And the reason this is important for us is because when people come into Prairie Bible Church, if they don't know Christ, If they don't have the Holy Spirit, and they open this, and they begin to read what we are to do, most of them will probably put it down and say, who can do this? Who can keep all of this? I mean, who could possibly do this perfectly? And Paul understood someone who was blameless externally in the law that no one can. And so Paul even said the law is good, the law is righteous. But one of the main purposes of the law is to point us to God's mercy. When you come to the law and you realize who can do this, your next step is to throw yourself on God's mercy and that mercy is found in Jesus Christ. And that's what happened to Paul. And that's what needed to happen to this man. And that's what Jesus is pointing him toward. But here's the problem. Throwing yourself on God's mercy takes humility. You can't receive the gracious gift of God and Christ without humility. That's why for so many people who come to Christ, you have to look at your life and see that the bank account's too low, the job's not working out, the relationship's not working out, and then you go, I'm totally bankrupt. I need Jesus. Now, even if those things are there for you, you are still totally spiritually bankrupt. But sometimes we have to see that before we say, I need Jesus. And so Jesus will take us to that point, just like he took Paul to that point. But the problem for the religious expert is he's not coming to Jesus with humility. You see what it said about him? He came to Jesus to put Jesus to the test. That's not a good decision. In fact, it's written in the law, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. But he didn't believe Jesus was the Lord. That's why he called him teacher. So he's already breaking the law. And then when Jesus says, do this and you will live, rather than throwing himself at the feet of Jesus and saying, I can't, he tries to justify himself. You know, there were those people at the time of Jesus who understood this, Remember Peter's response to Jesus? He said, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. That's the right response. And Peter belonged to Jesus. Or the blind beggar. When Jesus came by, he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That's the right response. He received a sight. Or when Jesus talked about the tax collector that went into the temple, went into church, couldn't even look up toward God, but said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said that man went away justified. Why? Because those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. There's only one way to approach Jesus. Only one way to receive anything from Jesus. It's with humility. And that's what the lawyer doesn't have. That's also the only way to approach the word of God. I don't care if you've been a Christian for one day or 50 years. You can't receive anything from the Word of God if you don't approach it humbly. The problem with being a Bible expert is you can start to think you have it all figured out. And that's what this man thought. But really, Jesus was putting him to the test. The Bible says about itself that it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This book that God has given us that for thousands of years have been transforming lives. Who are we to come to the Bible and when we disagree with it, say it's wrong? If we disagree with it, we're wrong. That's what it means to have faith-seeking understanding. Now, I could guarantee you that every person in this room has at one point opened the Bible and disagreed with what it said. But it's not the word of Billy. Or the word of you, it's the word of God. Wouldn't you think that God might disagree with us on some of the things? And so when we come to the Bible, the Bible doesn't submit to us, we submit to the Bible. And when we come to the Bible, we don't master the Bible, the Bible masters us. And when we come to the Bible, we don't just read the Bible, the Bible reads us. You see what I'm saying? This man's not approaching Jesus humbly. and He's not approaching God's word humbly. And I look at us today in our culture and I say, are we approaching God's word humbly? Are we doing that? When we don't agree with what it says, what's our next decision? Is it to try to make it submit to us or do we submit to it? We must approach God's word humbly. That's the only way we can earn any, get anything from it. Following Jesus means approaching God's word humbly humbly. And I would just sum it up with this verse in James one twenty one. In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. I think that pretty much sums it up. Following Jesus means approaching God's word humbly. So now Jesus is about to show this man that he is falling short. Remember the question he asked Jesus? He said, and who is my neighbor? It doesn't feel like he's asking that question in order to love more people. It feels like he's asking the question to love less people. And so now Jesus is going to respond to this man seeking to justify himself with this parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so look at verses 30 through 33 with me. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. had compassion. So when you see that phrase, a man, it's assumed there that that's a Jewish man, okay? It's talking about a Jewish man. And this Jewish man was traveling this route from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now that would have been about 17 miles and about 3,400 feet in elevation change. It's, It's just a long journey, But it wasn't just dangerous for that reason. It was dangerous because thieves and robbers would camp out on that route and they would attack people. And that's exactly what happens to this guy. It says that they left him half dead. That means severely wounded, his life hanging in the balance. But then in verse 31, something truly amazing happens. By chance, the one person, the one person that you would want crossing by, is crossing by. A priest. The example of religious piety, right? And it's, it's another Jewish brother. But it says that when he gets there, not only does he pass by, he passes by on the other side. He goes out of his way to avoid his Jewish brother. He doesn't help him. That is a tragedy. But then by chance, Another example of religious piety, a Levite, like the second best person that could possibly cross through, comes by. And it says that he walks up, he looks at him, and then he passes by on the other side. That's even worse. So the two people that you would hope would help the man did not help the man. And certainly the lawyer's hearing this, and he's probably starting to feel a little on edge. But it's about to get worse. Because then Jesus says, A Samaritan, the Jew's ultimate enemy, comes to where the man is, and when he sees him, he has compassion. A little background, a little history lesson on the Samaritans. So the Samaritans were from the northern kingdom of Israel, okay? And there was this people called Assyria. They were this really fierce, really warlike people. And they took the northern kingdom of Israel captive. And when they did that, they took the Jewish people away. But certain Jewish people stayed behind and intermarried with the Assyrians. And that really made the Jews mad. In fact, they viewed them as like half-breeds. Okay, They looked down on them because they were of a different race. They also had a different doctrine. Okay, we talked about how the Jews, uh, they had the law, the prophets, the writings. Well, the Samaritans, they threw out the prophets and the writings and they just kept the law and they had their own translation of it called the Samaritan Pentateuch. So they had a different doctrine. They also had a different place of worship and this really made the Jews mad. They didn't worship in Jerusalem. They worshiped at a place called Mount Gerizim. And when Jesus meets a Samaritan woman in John 4, maybe you remember that scene, Jesus actually called her out on her error. He said, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is of the Jews. Okay, so Jesus pointed out that the Samaritans had it wrong. But it's like Jesus is saying to this expert, he's saying, listen, the people that have it wrong are following my word better than you are. Man, that must have really hurt to hear. That must have been convicting. I think it's also convicting for us. Are the people who may have it wrong loving people better than we're loving people? I think it's an important question. And so the very person that the lawyer would have excluded with the question, who is my neighbor, is the very person that Jesus uses to show as a person who loved his enemies. And man, the parables can be so Uh, disillusioning and disorienting for us, but that's a good thing. You know, and that's what Jesus is doing here. As I was reading this, I was thinking about, you know, who are those people in your lives that you disagree with most? Or maybe there's people in your life, it could be your family, your coworkers, maybe friends, or they used to be friends, and you like can't even stand to be in the same room as them. You don't want to hear one word they have to say. Now I want you to picture that person on the side of the road left for dead and yourself coming up to that person. What would you do? Would you rejoice at their plight? Would you pass by on the other side? Or would your first heart movement be compassion? That's a high standard, isn't it? Compassion. But that's exactly what the Samaritan did and that's exactly Jesus' point to this expert. The expert knew the Bible, but was he actually doing what it said? Jesus pointed this out in Matthew 5, 44 through 45. Jesus said, I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. You know, sometimes we see those verses, and I'm I'm guessing that many of you have heard the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that verse. You ever thought about what that means? You know how many people there are in this world that hate God? That don't give God any credit for anything? And yet God still chooses to have the sun rise? and the sunset, and all these other rhythms that we tend to take for granted, that's how God treats people who hate him. The God who could, in one moment, snuff out all existence if he wanted to. He's that patience toward his enemies. And so if God is that kind to people who hate him, how should we be at Prairie Bible Church toward our enemies? Shouldn't we be kind? And now biblical love says this, Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So biblical love is not affirming sin, affirming evil. It's holding up the truth. But you can hold up the truth and still have compassion for people. I want us to be a church that holds up the truth, but has compassion for people. Because that's what the Good Samaritan teaches us. We need to love our enemies. Following Jesus means approaching God's word humbly. Following Jesus means loving our enemies. And here's the final one. Following Jesus means going the extra mile. We are about to see an astonishing picture of what loving our enemies looks like. It truly is amazing. So look at verses 34 through 37. So this is going to tell us what the Samaritan did. He went to the man, And bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set the man on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. Notice the lawyer couldn't even bring himself to say Samaritan. (laughs) He just said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This Samaritan does not just do what is required. In fact, it wasn't even required of him to help. He goes so far beyond what is required. And that's called mercy. Because mercy doesn't just do what is required. Mercy goes the extra mile. Wouldn't you say say that's the type of mercy God showed us in Christ? When when Jesus went from heaven to earth and took on the form of a servant and died for us while we were yet sinners, wouldn't you call that going the extra mile? And this Samaritan goes the extra mile for his enemy. And I would imagine that when Jesus says at the end of this uh, to the lawyer, you go and do likewise, that he was a little bit taken aback. My hope would be that at this point he sees just how far he falls short of the righteous standard of God. And we don't know how he responded, but my hope would be at some point in his life that he said, Jesus, I can't do it. I need help. You know, one of the benefits of the parables is that they allow all of us here to find ourselves in the story. And and so when I was looking at this, just thinking about where would I find myself in this story or where should we find ourselves? I think for many of us, maybe you've been in the Bible for a long time, uh, you've been a Christian for a long time, and so there's the lesson uh, of remembering that even if you are a Bible expert, um, you don't have it all figured out. We all need humility, right? That's a lesson. Or maybe you relate to the Samaritan and, and maybe you needed to be reminded this morning to love your enemies. I mean, we live in a really divided world. I think we all need to be reminded to love our enemies. But let me tell you where the gospel finds us in this parable. The man severely wounded on the side of the road. Because that's really what we are. That's how God sees us apart from Christ. That's why he sent his son. Because apart from Christ, We're like that man, left severely wounded on the side of the road, unable to help ourselves. The question is, do you see that? You see, the expert didn't see it, and so Jesus couldn't help him. But do you see it? I certainly remember that time in my life where I started to realize that I couldn't help myself. You know, in order for Jesus to heal you, you need to realize that you can't heal yourself. And I remember when I started to realize that in my life. Realizing I was severely wounded, unable to do anything for myself. But that was when I turned to Jesus. And just like the Samaritan bound up that man's wounds and nursed him back to health. That's what Jesus did in my life. He bound up my broken heart. He bound up my wounds. He restored me to good health. Do you see that you need that in Jesus? Because we all need that Jesus. The gospel is this, band you can come up, that 2,000 years ago, this Jesus, he came from heaven to earth because we were broken and unable to help ourselves. And he came and took the form of a servant. And he lived a perfect life. But those he came to save put him on a cross. But he went willingly to the cross and died on the cross. The perfect, stainless, spotless Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice. And on the third day, he rose again. He appeared to his followers, ascended to heaven. And someday he's coming back. And all authority has been given. To him, And he came for broken people like you and me. And if you've never made that decision, maybe you're here this morning and you're realizing just how broken you are. Maybe you find yourself in a situation you can't solve and you finally realize it's time to turn to Jesus. All you need to do is turn from your sin and toward Jesus. That's called repentance. And when you turn to him, you stop putting your trust in your finished work and you put it in his finished work. And you will be called sons of God. Or maybe you're here this morning and you did turn to Jesus. And Jesus nursed you back to health. But lately you've been depending on yourself. Relying on yourself. And you haven't been coming to him humbly. Well, let's all remember this morning where Jesus brought us out of. And make sure we keep humble hearts in seeking him and in loving our enemies.